It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Wow, what a two-week period we've had here at um, Preston and Cleveland. Whirlwind. Uh, it, it has been crazy. Anybody who's here local, you probably know. I don't think it needs to be talk, need to talk about it um, on the podcast, but it has been a wild week in the fact that sleep has been completely optional for me. So you guys, I, I kind of share with you when um, I've had a little sleep, and I think sometimes those are our better shows. I don't know why. What does that tell me? Maybe <laughs> I, I do better when, <laughs> on lack of sleep instead of running on all cylinders. But we're going to do something pretty interesting today. Well, I don't think when you hear the topic you think it's interesting, but I think it is going to be interesting because I actually have had some experience in this. And I think, let me tell you, this is your worst nightmare. When I say your worst nightmare, it's when you get a notice from the IRS that you're probably under audit. So we're going to talk about that, and then we're also going to give you some deductions that most people don't know about. And I'll tell you why they don't know about them is because a lot of these are clarifications that have occurred in the last few years, talking about since 2010, that the tax courts have given us some additional clarification that really benefits a lot of taxpayers out there. So we're going to touch base on those things. Um, Let me give you kind of the intro. This is The Money Guy Show. I'm your host, Brian Preston. I've also got Bo Hansen sitting across from me here. You can contact the show at brian, B-R-I-A-N, at money-guy.com. And then, Bo, you are B-O. I never say anything anymore, but bo at money-guy.com. And um, we'd love to, to get your input. And of course, just from hearing our email addresses, you can tell money-guy.com is the website. If you want to go check out show notes, if you want to go check out, you know, kind of the links to everything we're talking about here, as well as to subscribe to the free side of the show where you get automatic updates and blast emails every time we come out with brand new content. Or you could subscribe to the premium section, get access to all the archives, the commentary, and everything else that's out there. So let's kind of also, Bo, before we get into the deep stuff, do you want to tell them why I'm probably on some database right now after what happened at the Gwinnett County drugstore <laughs> I went to? So, so this is probably, I don't know, it was the first of this week. It's Monday or Tuesday. We've had a lot of stuff going on here locally. Brian, Brian's had a number of things going on. And so he comes in, he's like, Bo, I need you to do me a favor. And he says that a lot, So, but usually there was something different about this. He said, Bo, I need you to go down to the drugstore and I need you to buy me some Zyrtec D. And I said, what? He said, last night I was up in Atlanta, had a meeting, and I wanted to get some decongestant. Well, I just, I just bought some Zyrtec D the day before, but I left it at the no, house. No, no, no. It was about a few weeks ago. A few this weeks is, ago, okay. This is a few weeks ago I bought that Zyrtec. It's crazy. A few weeks ago, but he bought a big, you know, a big batch of it. Because he, and if you guys don't know Brian personally, uh, sinuses kind of get to him. And down here in the south... Uh, we have some crazy stuff going on here with all of our. Uh, we, we swim in the pollen. That's down here, exactly guys. right. That's exactly right. So he went to the he went and had the stuff, but he forgot to take it to his Atlanta meeting. So we just wanted to stop at a CVS and get something to help clear him up. Well, he goes in. He says, "Can I have some of the um, some of the Zyrtec D?" And uh, and the guy says, "Yeah, no problem. Can I see your driver's license?" So Brian hands it to him, and uh, the guy keys some stuff in. Well, then he looks at Brian. He says, "Sir, I'm so sorry. I can't sell you this." Can you believe? And, and by the way, I was going to a, a pretty, a meeting where you, you dress up for. So I was I was dressed up. It's not like I am most days where I come in here with just khakis and a golf shirt. Not that I think khakis and a golf shirt is what the typical meth head probably has uh, <laughs> in their attire either. But uh, guys, I mean, because this pharmacist 
looked at me and he goes, sir, I can't, you, you've bought some, some of this in the last few weeks, haven't you? And I said, I have, but I said, I have allergies. I mean, I don't, I, I, I don't, I think a man ought to be able to get his allergy medicine, <laughs> medicine in the South. So they denied me. So guess what? It might be illegal, but we circumvented the system because I got Bo to go get me some allergy medicine. Let me, actually, let me rephrase that. What happened is, is I went and got some allergy medicine, and I've let I let Brian borrow some of mine. I think that probably sounds a little better. <laughs> if they're gonna come arrest us over allergy medication, that shows kind of the state of where government is at this point. But let's talk about this: how to avoid IRS audits. First, I think that we need to kind of give some background on who gets audited. And I, and I will tell you, I've gotten notices for clients because I've, I've had a background in doing some tax preparation for individuals. And it, you know, it's not only the tax preparer that gets, that loses their stomach when they get an IRS notice. The, the CPA or somebody who prepared it professionally, we don't like them either. Because as I've shared with you guys, if you want to make me scared and talk about organizations that just freak you out, there's two I have in my book. Bo's smiling because he knows what I'm going to say. The two are the Securities and Exchange Commission, because we, we do investments. So I'm always worried that they're, you know, you just don't know what they're thinking and they have the right to end the way you do your business. Well, and the other one is the Internal Revenue Service. And the reason I get nervous about the Internal Revenue Service, not because I'm doing anything wrong, I'm actually just the opposite, probably super uber conservative with my assumptions because I am so scared is that I know that they can just take whatever the heck they want. And because I know they can just take whatever the heck they want, I try to stay off their radar screen as much as possible. So this is hopefully going to be those type of tips that are going to help you to kind of navigate the waters, claim as much as you can legally. Notice I use the word legally, but still keep yourself kind of clean of avoiding the red flags for, to the IRS. So they contacted this guy named... Uh, Michael Rosenbrock, of founder and CEO of Tax, Tax Resolution Services, and um, he stated that audits are one of the few times that having an average salary is an advantage. And then this is the quote of the actual numbers. Only about 1.1% of people who file a 1040 for 2010 tax year were audited, or about a 1.5 million tax returns. Um, he did say, however, now listen to this, by the way, we are going to make it where nobody wants to be a millionaire anymore. Instead of us wanting to be a mil the millionaire next door, we're all going to hope that, hey, we're getting some check coming in the mail at some point. Um, it's going to say, however, the audit rate is 12.5% for people earning $1 million or more in 2010. Did you hear that? So the average is 1.1%, but if you make a million bucks, ding, 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 not only do you pay a lot of taxes, but we're also going to subject you to uh, a tax audit probably 12.5% of the time. Read that next sentence. <clears throat> this is up, oh gosh, th this totally ties into the narrative, doesn't it? This is up by 100% from 2009 levels. The IRS is aggressively going after this segment of the population. Like I said, nobody's going to want to be a millionaire <laughs> too much longer. Um, so what sets off an audit? Karen Reed, the Director of Communications at the Tax Resource Incorporated, says audits are often triggered by the kind and amounts of deductions taken. And here's kind of her list of things that can trigger these, these audits. She says, you know, charitable contributions, employee business expenses, and vehicle expenses. Businesses and rental schedules with high deductions but no reported income are also common audit trigger, triggers. Now, I, and I can tell you, just yesterday, I had a client come in who has a farm. He, he has a farm, and he's had a farm for years, 
and he does have income that comes in from that farm, but the the income doesn't offset all the expenses. And I had a hard conversation with him this year, and I said, "Listen, you know, I, I know that you really are trying to do some things with farm, but." It, it it never seems to make money, and it seems to lose more. I think you are running a risk of this being considered a hobby right. versus a business. So we talked about it, and we made the decision. We were just going to quit listing this as a farm, even though it did get him some tax deduction. The peace of mind knowing that he wasn't going to put a red flag was better because he could understand why the IRS might have an issue with that. But I will tell you, I've dealt with a lot of cases, employee business expenses. If you're a salesman, it's not uncommon that you'll put 40,000 miles a year on your car. By God, you better have a good mileage log to show that. There's nothing wrong with taking that deduction, but you better have really good records because it's going to look like a huge deduction. If you talk, Once the, the mileage reimbursement rate broke 50 cents, you can think about that. If you have 40,000 miles, that's a $20,000 deduction. That kind of raises the eyebrows of the IRS. doesn't mean you can't take it, but you have to be careful just to make sure you've got everything lined up. Charitable contributions, I mean, I think it's great. I'm always impressed when I do a tax return and I see somebody who is giving above and beyond even the basic 10% that you know a lot of people consider doing for tithing. Right. Incredible thing when I see that. But that is a red flag, so make sure you, if you're going to do that, that you have very good records. Um, it's also went on to say that IRS is often curious, and this I thought this was interesting because I've se- I've dealt with cases like this before too, where the IRS is often curious about tax returns that don't appear to support the lifestyle of the person filing the return. In such cases, the IRS IRS will scour all the taxpayer's bank accounts looking for unreported income. So I guess they're looking for people who have very large mortgage interest deduction. But, you know, and, and property taxes because they own a lot of property and, and things, but then they have very little income to pay right. for these things. It can become suspicious to, wait a minute, they live in a million-dollar home, but they only report $60,000 of income. That seems a What's little askew <laughs> there. So, you know, make sure that you're, you know, it's pretty easy. And I can tell you when I'm, it's so funny to me when I do businesses, and you'll have a business that has three to five owners, and I'll do the business return, you know, where you can see the income and the income flows out equally to all the different owners. But it is so interesting to me to see the differences of taxes paid depending upon the deductions. And I've seen some that, you know, you see people who are living on the edge, meaning that they have so much mortgage interest. You're like, how big is this house that they're living in? You know, and it just so it is interesting to see the differences that kind of play out based upon the different level of deductions that people claim. Um, so what do you do if you get audited? They went back to both Reed and, and the, the, like I said, the CEO of the Tax Resolution Services, and they, they recommended, and this is what I did want to make sure I pointed out because I agree with this completely. It says they recommend contacting an expert if an audit is ordered. But they did have a little disagreement on what level you do contact that expert. They said if your dollar exposure is $20,000 or more, you should retain the services of a certified tax resolution specialist who's an expert in defending their clients in an audit because they do this on a day-in, day-out basis. That's what Rosenbrock says, but I disagree with him on that. $20,000, yeah, that's a lot of money. But I'm going to go ahead and lower that threshold down a little bit more, just like Reed is about to tell us, because Reed went on to say that they believe a professional should be hired in all, I'll repeat that, all audit cases. The advice we give to everyone is do not represent yourself in a tax audit. Here's why, and I've dealt with this. I'll give you two case studies. I've had several clients audited in the past, 
I've represented um, a client before, and then I've had a client who said, I don't want to pay the fee. Because whenever you do an engagement, I guarantee if you hire a CPA or a professional tax preparer, when you sign their engagement letter, if you read the fine print in there, it will say, if you are audited, I will be willing to represent you, but it will be above and beyond the tax preparation fee, unless it's obviously their mistake. But if it's just because the IRS is auditing the numbers on the return, not because they're wrong, but because they just want to know, hey, let me see where you came up with those numbers. Usually your CPA or your tax preparer is going to want to charge an additional hourly fee or an engagement fee to do that. I've had a client who was questioned on his mileage allowance. He was a, he was a guy who was traveling a lot. And I told him, I said, I'd be glad to represent you, but it's going to cost this hourly rate right here. Nope, Brian, I'm going to do it on my own. I'm like, okay. So he agreed to meet the IRS at their office. (laughs) So I get a call the day, he told me which day he was going up to meet with the IRS. He gets a call, I get a call from him crying. I, I kid you not, this is a grown man crying on the phone to me because he's sitting there on his cell phone with the IRS sitting across from him and they're asking him and questioning him about his mileage logs, which I know were legit. It's just that he probably is just not a super organized right. guy who had made sure that, you know, he put the start mileage, the end mileage, you know, the date and time, you know, it was very easy to see this was legit. But what they do is, is they get you in there and you are the taxpayer. You are the one that signs that tax return. So they ask you, you know, they ask you a question you can't look to your left. You can't look to your right and go, um, I'm going to have to check back with you on it. They no, they want an answer because you're the one that did the return or, you know, the, it's your return that's, that's being presented to them. So they want to know an answer right then. So he got caught up. And then, the, it, then a, an audit can do what's called mushroom. They can go into other parts of your life, like they can go from your unreimbursed business because you're a salesperson and your mileage to where they can go to your taxes that you pay, like your ad valorem tax, or they can go and say, well, show me this, show me how much, you, you know, mortgage interest, show me these charitable contributions. They can go, well, if it was like this in 2010 and 2011, let's go look back at 2009 too. They can mushroom out as much as they want to. Here's what an expert can do for you. In addition to hopefully having a little experience in this and knowing, not being new to the game and understanding the process, they can, a lot of times the IRS will ask a question, they legitimately don't know the answer because this is not their tax return individually. They might have prepared it based upon the data that the client provided them, but it's not their tax return. So they're not going to know the answers to all things. So when the IRS asks them a question they don't know, they're just honest and say, I'm not quite sure. I'm going to have to go check back with my client to get you an answer and clarification on that. And then you move to the next data point that they have. It's different. It really is. I can tell you the last audit, I don't like them, by the way. It is scary, stressful. I had a client, and which you, what I've done in the past is you get the IRS to come to your accountant's office, and they will agree to it. Like I had a, a business that was audited. They agreed to come to my office to do the audit. They did on the last day want to go to the actual location of the business so they could actually see the equipment, and, you know, walk the right. grounds, make sure this was a, a, there was really a business at this address. Um, but it works much easier i think when you hire an expert and I, and that's why and believe me i don't i don't i don't take on tax clients anymore so i'm not telling you this so i can hopefully pad my pockets some way this is legitimate what i would recommend to anybody if if you got out brian preston's personal return got out what would you do oh I, I, i'd go hire my buddy brandon Werner. i mean there is no doubt in my mind it, it's it's kind of like that whole adage that you have about an attorney 
you know, you know, if you, if you represent yourself, you're a fool. And it's kind of that way with tax audits. Remember, they can take it, guys. They can take your stuff. So if somebody can take your stuff, go hire somebody who's used to going to talk to the people who take stuff. <laughs> because I think it works out much, much better if you'll do that. Okay, I think I've, I think I've talked on that enough to where people will know if you get an audit, I don't care if they're just asking about $500. Remember, you know, the one person who they interviewed here said, ah, just wait until it's 20 grand. No, a $500 audit can quickly turn into where they're asking about 20 grand if you're not careful. So I say, I agree with the second expert that they interviewed. If you have any audit, go hire a professional to represent you. That's what I would do. So are there certain type of write-offs that raise red flags with the IRS agents? Well, they went on and they explained. By the way, I don't, Bo, I don't know if I ever even gave the author and no, title. I don't, think, I don't think we did. This is, this is actually from, and we'll put a link to it on the Money Guy website. This is How to Avoid an IRS Audit. And it was by David Francis from U.S. News and World Report. And it came out on January 25th of this year. So, so good piece here by David. But I, I want to make sure we give him props. And we'll put a link out there on the website. But um, it talks about how, how, you know, what write-offs do raise a red flag. And it talked about, and Bo, you ran into this. And, you know, I've helped some clients. And I was kind of shocked how that all worked out. But y'all remember, you guys remember when they had the first time home buyer's credit where they were giving, was it 8000 or 8500 8, It was 8000 yeah. 8000 Woo! It's a lot of money. <laughs> so they were giving out, well, you can imagine, if they're giving out $8,000 credits. Now, y'all know the difference between a credit and a deduction. A credit means that a credit is actually lowers $8,000 worth of taxes. A deduction means that you might be able to deduct $8,000 and it might save you $2,000 in taxes. So when they give you a credit, that means that anybody who claimed this, you were getting $8,000 off of your taxes. So that's the equivalent probably, I mean, I'm just going to ballpark this, of the tax liability of somebody making $30,000, $50,000 a year. So you can see how really powerful an $8,000 credit is. So the IRS started noticing, wait a minute, there sure are a lot of people buying first-time homes. So it was being abused. So they, they started auditing about everybody who claimed that credit. And, Bo, you got caught up in that because you bought a house I bought a house that, that year, and my, my, actually my return got audited, and it, it went fine. I mean, mine wasn't a true audit. <clears throat> they just asked for additional information. Yeah, so it's and that's the way they do it. They typically do. do that. They, by the way, when we say audits, when I, when I say you need to go hire a professional, if they just write you and say, hey, we need additional support documents. To, this is more of an informational, we want to clarify this. You can do that yourself. Yeah, I'm yeah. saying if they write you a notice saying, we want you to show up or we want to come see you, call an expert. That's when you want to get them involved. Um, it also said the earned income credit and the adoption credit were also common audit targets. And the reason they're audit targets is because there's a lot of abuse. There's people that are claiming these things for no reason. And, um, and so they go after me for free. Uh, there's plenty of other areas that they do that. So two common examples um, they also went on, if you want to know some other things that red flags is, and I've kind of hit on this charitable contributions. Remember the rules on that. It used to be, you could claim two fifty, um, pretty much on, you know, just say, Hey, you know, I, I put a dollar in the boot fund as I drive through. They really have gotten pretty strict on that stuff. You're supposed to be keeping pretty much paper records on about anything that you claim charitable contributions on. And then they also, a red flag is the mileage log. So mm -hmm. nothing wrong with claiming those deductions. Just make sure you're doing a good job with it. Um, and if you're found, if, if during an audit you find that you truly did make a mistake, just go ahead and fess up to them. Go ahead and clarify. Now, I thought the article, it kind of cracked me up. They said, 
Um, Reed adds that if the taxpayer is not maliciously trying to cheat the government, the IRS can be lenient. That must be a certain division that I haven't worked <laughs> with yet because Bo knows I had a case last year that um, we had the IRS change the number on us eight times. Just crazy. I mean, I documented the, the, the number. They, it, it's just insane how often it changed. And I kept calling the agent that was working on the case, and she's like, well, my supervisor keeps changing it. And then it just was wild how things went down. Let's close this show out. I got a real quick. Um, Bo, did you have anything else you wanted to put on the audit stuff? No, no, I think that I think that hit it. Guys, be careful. That's what I would throw in there. Be careful. Don't mess with the government. This is a, another article that came out from Smart Money. It's called Five Little Known Tax Deductions, and this was done by Bill. Um, all these people probably hate when I read their name because I'm probably slaughtering it. Bill Bis- Bischoff. Right? Bischoff. Bischoff. Yeah. yeah, Bischoff. Sounds like you're Bill, if you're listening, let us know how you pronounce your name. Um, but Smart Money, February 15th. This is recent. This is like two days ago. Um, these are five little-known tax deductions. I thought, you know, the first one's, eh, it's okay. Um, but the other's really impressive, this, this data. And I, I'm glad he gave the case law number or where this research came from. So any of my CPAs that are listening, you can go use this because I've come across this in the past, and it's a gray area that you often wonder, can I do this or not? And they, we actually have clarification here. So the number one, which is okay, it's good. Most people don't know. Um, Medicare insurance and long-term care premiums, they are deductible as medical expenses. So on that Schedule A, which is your itemized deductions up there, you know, you have to exceed 7.5% of your adjusted gross income. So you have to exceed 7.5% of your total income for to take medical expenses. So that's a hard bill to fill. Um, a lot of our older listeners, you might want to go make sure you're taking advantage of putting your Medicare premiums, and that does include all the different coverage plans. Um, a, you know, it's, it's got A, B, C, D. Um, the Medicap, Medigap plans. So there's, there's all kind of, you count those, you can also count the long-term care um, premiums as well. And hopefully that can help push you over that 7.5%. Now here's the one, and this kind of sets the tone for the next few tips because I've had this often wondered. I had this actually last year with a client who, um, whose daughter had some medical expenses. Medical expenses paid by someone else can be deductible according to this. It said, In a 2010 tax court decision, the IRS argued that a daughter could not deduct some medical expenses because she did not pay for them with her own money. Instead, her mother covered the expenses by directly paying the medical service providers. The tax court disagreed. That's awesome. I mean, this is really, because you know that's the intent. Right. But sometimes the IRS can be sticklers. So it says the tax court disagreed. The facts of the case demonstrated that the mother intended the gifts to be gifts. Therefore, the tax court characterize the transactions as gifts from the mother to the daughter, followed by payments of the expenses by the daughter with the gifted funds. So the daughter was allowed to count over $24,000 of medical expenses that were actually paid by her mother in calculating her medical expenses. That's powerful stuff, guys, because you're going to hear how that same logic and same reasoning applies to things that all of us use. Now, medical expenses is kind of rare. You don't use that one a lot because of that 7.5% requirement. But I, I want to clarify one more thing on this before we move on to the next one. It does say an important point to remember. When you directly pay medical expenses for a person who's your dependent, so if this think about this woman here who paid medical expenses for her child and her child was taking them on her tax return, if she was a dependent, then the mother could have taken it. But since this child obviously was an adult who was out living on her own, probably just having a hard time, and the mom felt like she was helping out, maybe with a grandkid or her own medical expenses, 
since she was not a dependent, then the daughter took the expense. But right. that, I think that's a big clarification that needs to be made. If they do live um, where they're dependent on you, you can claim actually those expenses on your medical side. Number three, real estate taxes paid by someone else. This follows that same line of thought that we just talked about, that 2010 tax court case where you count the taxes paid by somebody else. Now it says, let me give you the actual source for this. It says, um, the source for this is Judith Lang from the TC Memos 2010-286. So that's, um, that, if you need to go pull something, if you're a CPA and you want to use some case study so you can start claiming this if you run across it, great, great tip here. Um, number four, mortgage home mortgage points paid by someone else. I run into this all the time. This is one that the do-it-yourselfers need to be very careful of. Mm -hmm. If you use TurboTax to do your taxes, nothing wrong with that. I think it does a fine job. But just know when you refinance, you can, you'll get that settlement statement, that HUD statement that they call it. The settlement statement, if you'll look on the page, you'll have origination fees or points paid at the closing. Sometimes you'll have a seller's, it will always will have a seller's column and then a buyer's column. Sometimes those points will be paid by the seller. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of people will say, well, gosh, I didn't pay them, so those are not deductible. Not so. The IRS, believe, the way I've always been told about this is they assume somebody doesn't just pay. Nobody gets a free lunch. Nobody's just paying your points for you because they're charitable and nice people. You've bought this place. You've bought this house. You've got these origination fees So you know, for setting this loan up. So it's built into the price of what you're paying. So it is deductible to you no matter whether you pay it or not. The one thing I will tell you on that to be careful of, refinancing. A lot of people are refinancing right now because interest rates are incredible. When you do refinance, you can only deduct those points or that loan origination fees over the life of the loan. You don't get to take it all at once. The only time you get to take it all at once is when you buy a house primary, initially. You, when you refinance, you have to amortize those points over the life of the loan. Um, it goes on, it says home mortgage. Well, we talked about that one. The last one I'm going to close out the show is five fees to charge taxes to your credit card. First of all, I don't really like people paying their taxes with a credit card bill because <laughs> I know we did an analysis a long time ago at a previous firm when the IRS first offered this option. And you're like, well, gosh, I could go on a Jamaica vacation or go to the Bahamas or go somewhere in the Caribbean off of paying my taxes because of all my world points or all my points I'm going to get off this. Uh-uh. Because you think the IRS is going to let you, you think they're going to pay that transaction fee that the credit card companies get? Uh-uh. They pass it on to you, so you're going to pay several percentage points above and beyond what you pay. That's why I think it's not a great deal. But if you're so inclined, the IRS, they have something for you. It says, surprisingly enough, the IRS says that you can treat credit card convenience fees paid to charge personal income tax bills and miscellaneous itemized deductions reported on line 23 of your Schedule A. So you can go down under mis miscellaneous itemized deductions, and you can put those transaction fees that your credit card company, well, the IRS is right. refusing to pay, so they pass them on to you. Um, I hope that was helpful, guys. Remember, the biggest thing I can tell you, you get an audit. Go hire somebody. But before we get to that point, kind of think, always think when you're doing anything with your taxes, it's kind of like, you know, if you're in a relationship, 
You don't do anything that you wouldn't want your spouse sitting right next to you if you're with somebody from the opposite sex. It's the same way with your taxes. When you take any deduction, just go ahead and pretend somebody's looking over your shoulder from the IRS and you're sitting across the table from another agent and they're asking you questions about it. If you keep that in mind, I think you'll keep your nose clean. Tax avoidance is highly encouraged in this country. Tax evasion is very illegal. Yeah, that's, that's, that's why they went after Al Capone that way. They couldn't get him for killing people and, and doing all you know the speakeasies, but they could sure get him on his taxes. So keep your nose clean on that, and you should be in great shape. Guys, check us out, money-guy.com. I'm your host, Brian Preston, with Bo Hansen. We'll talk to you in about two weeks. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston, and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston & Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.